Next on BYU Sports Nation, how does BYU football capture the nation's attention and rebuild its storied identity as an independent? The general former linebacker Cameron Jensen joins us to discuss leadership and hiking to base camp at Everest. Plus, he's a rugby star for Team USA and a former BYU multi-sports standout. Paul Lasique back on the program. Will he ever play football again? Let's go! This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by... The BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. BYU Sports Nation, once again, live. Your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Thursday, June 7th, wherever and however you're connected, always nice to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with the American voice of rugby, Jerem Jordan. Yeah, there's a lot of voices uh, in rugby. It's funny. The Australian, you know, the New Zealand, South Africa and whatnot. England, you know. It's not a ton of Americans. Yeah. Every sport has its own unique lingo and terminology. Oh, yeah, dude. Rugby is very unique. What's the most common term that you use calling play-by-play for rugby that most Americans have no idea about? Into touch. That's out of bounds. <laughs> like, technically, in soccer, the touch lines are out of bounds. That's an English thing, but yeah, I've occasionally said yeah. that across the touchline. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, it's hard to know what to say because on the side I do some rugby, you know, commentary, or whatever. But yeah, I try and cater to like I have no idea what rugby is, and I know everything about rugby. Into so, touch. All those people, you don't score touchdowns, you score tries. But that, but good point. That's where the phrase touchdown comes from. In rugby, you actually have to dot it down or touch it down in the try zone. If it's held up, if my hand's under the ball and you dot it down, they call you know held up. You have to actually touch it down. In football, though, you don't have to touch it down, but it's called a touchdown. You just cross the plane. That's well, an amazing. Sense no, me. no, that makes perfect sense. It makes sense, right? Because rugby was a school in a town by the name of rugby. That's where that comes from. Football. Came later, right? Soccer, football, this whole thing. Yeah, it's somewhat confusing. Touchdown but thank you, originated, Mother England, for all that. Touchdown originated in rugby? The act of touching it down, yes. I love it. And we saw too few of those last year, and hopefully this year we'll see a plenty. Oh, please. Yes. Plenty of reason for us to rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. The great 88 former BYU football tight end and graduate assistant Andrew George spoke with us earlier this week and offered up his opinion on how he felt BYU originally built their brand. Listen to this. I look at the past and what made BYU successful and what built the BYU brand, and it wasn't playing in a Power 5 conference. It was playing, uh, you know, in the WAC and then ultimately in the Mountain West Conference and succeeding in that conference every single year. Everything is different now. BYU doesn't have a group of five conference to play in like Andrew George played in in 2009. Schedules are clearly tougher. It's all different. Jaron, what can BYU do to rebuild its identity in football as an independent? I think winning is the obvious answer, but I'm going to tell you how. If you answer our question of the day and all you say is winning, we're not going to read it. Give us how, okay? Ease up on the schedule a little bit, okay? Instead of five, seven power fives, how about three? 
maybe four. Then you're, BYU's still playing Boise State. They're still playing Utah State, who at times gets them. They're still playing on Northern Illinois, Toledo, UCF, and so on. Some of the best of the rest. Get a notable win against a ranked team. Remember how it felt against Oklahoma or even Texas? Those had significance. BYU has opportunities to do that. Washington, Wisconsin, Boise State, all likely to be kind of top 15, top 20 teams. Get one of those. Play an exciting brand of football. BYU football was built on the pass game and the quarterbacks. Have a quarterback who people know. Right now, BYU doesn't have it. Tanner Mangum emerged in 2015 as that guy for a time. Max Hall was the guy. Taysom Hill, John Beck, and so on. Of course, the guys from the 80s, Ty Detmer, Steve Sarkisian. Those are some of the things that could help uh, rebuild the brand. I don't think the brand is affected and the identity is too far off. BYU had one off year. But BYU does need get to get back to some of those things to be like, yes, that is BYU football. In the previous seven years of independence, remind me, Jerem, when did BYU have the nation's attention early in a season? Just pick a season or a couple of seasons. When did they so have 20, the nation's 2014, attention? 2014, 4-0. 2015, 2-0, Hillman. Ah, uh, yes. Those two years. And there is something in common with both of those years. BYU won early, and they beat name-brand opponents early. That's how you do it as an independent. In 2014 and 2015, we had people like Reese Davis and Kirk Herbstreit discussing Hey, what can BYU do as an independent if they run the table and go undefeated? Are they good enough to be in the BCS or in the college football You have to be undefeated to have that convo. You have to be undefeated to have that convo. But BYU was being discussed because they won big games early. They were 4-0 in 2014. They were ranked in the top 20. Tanner Mangum comes out. They throw the Hail Mary. You're number one on SportsCenter's top 10. Then you beat Boise State with a Hail Mary, who was ranked 2-0, going to UCLA as the 19th-ranked team in the country. It is a common theme. Win big games early and get yourself on the map. The trouble is BYU hasn't finished ranked, which typically means winning 10 games in a season. So you've got to win, beat big-name opponents early, and you've got to win 10 games. I'm into all this. So ease up on the schedule so that September you can do the work you need to do instead of this year and likely a bunch of the years, the last two under Klein Stocky, unfortunately, one and three starts, and it's like, ugh, we're in this hole. It's going to be hard to climb out of, and BYU ultimately didn't climb out yeah. of it last year. And it doesn't hurt to have star players, like you said. College Hoops website, Busting Brackets, produced the top 15 players under head coach Dave Rose recently. The question with that list isn't who's number one. That would be one James Taffordette, who joined us yesterday. Hey, Amen. Spencer, the real question is, who's the second best player in the Dave Rose era? What do you think? There are a number of candidates that could qualify yeah. as number two. Like This is a really tough question. Uh, I'm going to give the nod to Kyle Collinsworth because of what he did after he tore his ACL. He got better after major reconstructive surgery in his knee. Like it's not many guys get better after you have to undergo something like that. He became Mr. Triple Double. He's got a budding professional career. Who knows what's going to happen in the NBA with the Mavericks moving forward. But he does so many things well. He passes well. He's got a good handle on the ball. He plays defense. He's long. He can jump. He can block shots. He's a stat sheet stuffer. The guy got better after his ACL tear. And he was a freshman contributor on BYU's best team in the last 40 years that went to the Sweet 16 in 2011. 
The guy was a star from the get-go. Mr. Triple-Double, Kyle Collinsworth is my answer. When you score more points than Jim or Fredette and Danny Ainge, you're the second best player in the Dave Rose era. And that is Tyler Haas. The dude's the all-time leading scorer at BYU. The only player in BYU history to average 20 a game in three different seasons. See, he's Mr. Consistency. Oh, my gosh. He's Mr. Score. Yeah. He's Mr. Buckets, man. Brother, how about this? Brother Buckets, Tyler Haas. He was so fun to watch. 20 a game, consistently, mid-range J, excellent transition. Tyler Haas, man. He's the second best player. And I don't know that there's a right answer to this question. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think, there, that, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Because Lee Kamard, right Brandon Davies, Trent Playstead, Eric Meek, I mean, like, Keena Young, all these guys. I'm going to say Sam Burgess just because I like Sam Burgess. He wasn't the second best, but I like <laughs> Sam Burgess. All these guys, right? They're, Dave Rose has been able to develop star players consistently. And that's, that's been one of the great attributes of BYU Hoops over the Dave Rose era is there's some really good players that come through the program. BYU Baseball has had a number of good players come through their program recently as well. And the Cougars had two players drafted into the major leagues yesterday. But Brock Hale, once again, was not one of them. Daniel Schneeman drafted in the 33rd round, 1,003rd pick overall by the Cleveland Indians. D.C. Clawson taken in the 37th round as the 1,111th pick by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. What's the bigger story here? D.C. Clawson, the catcher, and Daniel Schneeman, the shortstop, getting drafted, or Brock Hale, two-time first-team All-West Coast Conference performer, not getting drafted? Congratulations to D.C. Clawson and Daniel Schneeman. Uh, I'd imagine that both would go. Very exciting. Yes, very exciting. The bigger story is what the Brock happened with that. The last two years, Brock Hale hasn't been drafted. There are 1,204 picks in the draft, 40 rounds. How is he not taken? I don't get it. The dude has batted 395 and 342, combined 20 homers, 79 RBIs, and 29 doubles the last two years. A grand total of four errors in right field. And he's a good base runner. I like, don't, he's pretty fast. I don't get it. I don't get it, and I'm legitimately bummed for Brock Hale. Does this mean he's coming back um, to BYU? Possibly. Probably. That's good news for BYU baseball, but Brock seemed like he was all in on, on going, as he should be. I just want somebody to explain to me, a general manager, a handful of scouts, why? Why is Brock Hale not being drafted in 40 it. rounds? Yeah, I, I. There are 1,200 picks. I want to understand. <laughs> he mentioned that he had his knee injury. Okay, well, clearly he came back from that and has been just fine and maintained health. Is it his age? Is he too old? Are people not willing to take the risk? In baseball, it's like, why? What's the risk? There are 40 rounds of the draft. If it doesn't pan out, you've got at least 39 other picks. Oh, no, you don't have your single-A right fielder. This is ridiculous. I just want somebody to explain (laughs) it to me. Can somebody out there please explain to me that that has baseball background, has been a scout, why is Brock Hale not one of 1,200-plus picks in the Major League Baseball draft in back-to-back years given what he's done? Help me understand. I want to understand. There was a dude drafted from homeschooled. He was homeschooled! Which is awesome. That's awesome for that guy. Leadership is an important trait in any business group or team, Spencer. The Cougars need good leadership on the football field in 2018 to get back to a bowl game. So who are the leaders on each side of the ball for this year's BYU football team? On offense, whoever the starting quarterback is. It better be. I think it's going to be Tanner Mangum. 
Uh, if it's not Joe Critchlow, Bo Hodge, one of those guys has to be a vocal and emotional leader on the offensive side of the ball. BYU didn't have that last year on offense, probably because Ty Detmer was cycling in one of five different quarterbacks, if you count Austin Kofensis. But BYU needs a I don't, vocal he didn't throw a pass. and emotional leader <laughs> as the quarterback. It's a natural position to lead and to be heard. Lead me, guide me, throw beside me. What other guy besides the quarterback and center yell out orders at the line? I'm just kidding. Kofensis threw a pass, so he's a quarterback, I guess. He threw a single pass. Okay, Matt Hadley is yeah, the guy defense. on defense. Why? Because he fits the mold. He's been granted a sixth year of eligibility because of injuries. I think players respect what he does as he's a good example in terms of working hard, being where he needs to be. He's smart. I think this is an opportunity for him to be the guy on defense. Okay. I don't know if he'll take it, but I think that he needs to be the guy. My guy on defense is Butch Powell. He has the most tackles of anybody coming back. He's a middle linebacker. He's vocal. He's been there. He's been a four-year start, three-year starter. He needs to be a guy on defense, and I agree with you on offense. It better be Tanner Mangum. You're, you're, when your quarterback isn't the leader, there are issues. So when Jake Heaps was a freshman, it was hard for him to be the leader. But even as a sophomore, there was this split camp with Riley Nelson because Riley was uh, perceived as a harder worker, better organizer, whatever. The quarterback, to lead is to do things first, to do things the best, to be vocal, to be accountable, to be a quality player and answer. You can be a great player and not a great leader, but it's important if you have both. We'll talk to Cameron Jensen coming up. Can BYU, if they don't have uh, kind of the bad cops on the coaching staff per se, outside of, say, Jeff Grimes, can they govern themselves? Can they be disciplined enough to where that shows itself on the field. Because last year, obviously, there wasn't enough of that. Think about all of the great quarterbacks in BYU football history. Were they vocal and emotional leaders? Uh, yes. I, yeah, look at the ones that struggled, and you probably answer... Interesting. No, they were not. Interesting. Right? Our question of the day. What can BYU do to rebuild its identity in football independence? A quarterback leader would certainly help that. Time to hear from you, BYUSN. This is the Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At 86WIKOOG in on the Twitter machine. You have to start beating some Power 5 teams, especially those that are middle of the pack. For example, California, Arizona, and especially Utah. I don't think Utah's a middle of the pack Power They're upper, 5 team. They're yeah. upper pack. Upper echelon. Then you can't lose to the ECUs and UMasses of the world. Yeah. Do that and you will have nine plus regular season wins and be relevant. It starts with a, and I'm quoting 86WI Coog here, middle of the pack power five team. In fact, we're one day closer. Countdown to the Wildcats. 86 days. 86, under three months. Okay. Jerem, inform the people of the great 86 at BYU. Douglas F. Jolly, former Oakland Raider, played in the Super Bowl, averaged 14 yards a catch at Brigham, five years in the NFL. And he played for uh, the Raiders, uh, Tampa Bay, and uh, the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Doug, fun, Douglas Jolly from Dixie. Fun fact, I met Doug Jolly at In-N-Out Burger in Las Vegas immediately after my two-year mission trip nice. and had no idea who he was. 
Because you'd been gone. <laughs> you'd been uh, in South Korea. Curtis Brown also there. Yeah. Very, I love Curtis Brown, dude. <laughs> Coming up, one of the best linebackers in BYU history, Cameron Jensen, tells us how players lead and how the Cougars can restore the identity of the program. How does summiting Mount Everest become a goal for the former BYU linebacker, Cameron Jensen? He's the general. You want to talk about a defensive leader? Yeah. Maybe he has some insight into who that guy's going to be for BYU. He'll join us next. This is BYU Sports Nation. Rick's college guy, too. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. We're getting close. Two weeks and one day until BYU Football Media Day on Friday, June 22nd, right here on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Web chat, state of the program, BYU Sports Nation, Cougars in the NFL, behind the mic, all kinds of programming coming up on Friday, June 22nd. BYU's Football Media Day kicks off a rash of media days across the entire landscape of college football. Join us June 22nd. Welcome back, BYU Sports Nation simulcast on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Our conversation happening right now on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BYU Sports Nation. Hashtag BYUSN whenever you would like to converse with us. Specifically, we'd like you to answer the following question. What can BYU do to rebuild its identity as a football independent? From Kyle Nelson on Facebook. Get back to being quarterback you. Since 2009, we've had multiple quarterbacks almost every year. We can't win games if we don't have consistency, let alone multi-year starters at that key position. Staying healthy is important. Like, if Jim McMahon gets hurt in the middle of 1980, maybe 1980 is not the same memorable kind of season or whatever. Does Taysom Hill factor into quarterback U? 23-10 and as a starter, 8-8 against Power 5 teams. Oh, absolutely. But the consistency of not having him there all the way in the season of 2014 and 15 hurt. See, I agree. I think he is part of quarterback U, but, yeah, that gets skewed by... His unfortunate health circumstances. Yeah, and, and Taysom not perceived nationally in the same way that the other guys were. We perceive him athletically in a unique way, right? <sighs> and, like, Texas certainly remembers him. But, I mean, nationally, I don't know that Taysom's going to get the credit that we give him. Yeah, right? does Texas think that Taysom yes, Hill is part do. of BYU's quarterback? Yes, you? <laughs> Hashtag BYUSN Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It is our pleasure now to welcome in one of the great leaders of BYU football, Cameron Jensen, former linebacker, the general, in Studio B for the first time. Welcome to the digs, man. Yeah, what's up, guys? Rise and shout. What are we, 86 days till college football? I mean, it's right around the corner. It's getting there, guys. It's getting there. But, hey, awesome studio, man. Thanks for having me in. Yeah, we're excited you're in here for the first time. I think we were in the BYU store last time. Yeah, BYU store last time. So now we're in here. Here we go. Okay, we have a lot to talk to you about, uh, including you going to the – base camp at Mount Everest, which in and of itself is a crazy, challenging hike. And, you know, a couple of years from now, you're hoping to summit this thing. When did this become like a goal and a project for you? Man, I think it started uh, way back when I was young. Growing up in Bountiful, we lived right in the mountains. And I've always grown up just loving going to the mountains, right? And as I grew up, it just kept getting a little higher, a little higher, a little higher. And then I've always wanted to go to Everest, right? I, I, I've always thought about climbing it. I've always loved that mountain. I've, I've known the history of it. And I thought, you know what, I want to go to base camp and just test it out. Just see, you know, talk to the climbers going in. And, 
And so ended up doing that. And we, we climbed a peak called Emotse, which is close by Everest, right? It, Everest is 28,000. This was just about 21,000. So I got a taste of it. And it, man, it was just a wild experience. To look at Everest and just see the Himalayas is something that you, that you never forget. Just an awesome experience. When did you do this? And we're seeing some pictures on BYU TV of this. This is incredible. Yeah, we did this. Uh, uh, it was about a month ago. Again, I was going about a month. Uh, you got to climatize, right? The base camp's at 17,000 feet. So it takes you about two weeks to get there just acclimatizing. You're going up, you're going down. You're staying a couple days in these villages on the way. So it takes quite a bit, hiking four hours a day, basically uphill. Um, but yeah, it takes a while to get there. What's the most challenging part of that whole experience? Is it the physical toll it takes on you? I imagine there's like an emotional mental toll as well. Yeah, it is. It's climbing's really similar to sports in that it's it's mental, right? It's the duration. It's cold. I mean, you're up there, it's cold all the time. You're not sleeping in great conditions. You're not showering. You're just out in the wilderness for a month. It's, so it's the duration and just mentally being able to endure those conditions. The hiking's the easy part. It's all the intangibles. It's the food you haven't eaten, all that for the, such a long duration. And then you got the cold uh, around that. But, yeah, I, see, I love that. I love when you can push yourself physically, mentally like that. I literally loved every step of it. I loved the cold, loved the mountains, loved the sleeping conditions. It was <laughs> it – was, it was, it, I loved it, man. What can you do in Utah over the next couple of years, if anything at all, to prepare yourself to – push yourself further and and get to the summit of Everest. Yeah, there's really nothing in Utah. You got to go externally. The highest peak in Utah is 13,000 feet. So baby food. Yeah, what is that King's Peak? Oh man, well I think it's King's Peak, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So you have to go externally. So I'm doing Rainier in July, uh and then I'm heading there's two volcanoes a lot of people do in Ecuador. So I'm doing those and then I'm doing Elbrus in Russia. I got to go back, serve my mission there. So why nice. not go visit and then uh do Elbrus and Very then I want to cool. do Kilimanjaro and I think that kind of will help prepare for eventually looking at Everest. So I got, I've got some experience I got to go through, but you can't go through here. You got to go externally. Sounds like an uneventful two years coming up for you. Yeah, man, I can't (laughs) wait. I love it. I love it. I'm like, what am I doing in two years? Oh man. Um, we, we got a, we got a video from you that we saw of you crossing, uh, on a ladder, you know, a big crevice. Describe to what I've seen like vertical limit and Everest, like, this is intense, man. This is more intense than anything you did at BYU right here, probably. So I thought this was going to be a warm-up. I had no idea we were doing this type of ladder until about two days before we started the summit of the mountain, right? <laughs> People come came down, and they're like, yeah, we didn't make it up to the summit. I'm like, wait, what? You guys are you're climbers, right? Like, why didn't you make it up? And they're like, they kept talking about the conditions, and they referred to this ladder climb. That's five ladders. That's longer than anything you've found on Everest over the last four or five years. And I'm a big guy, right? Going, I mean, I look at this ladder, I laugh. I'm like, guys, I'm not getting over there. That thing's going to break. It's going to wobble. How am I going to keep my balance? That's 60 feet dropping. I'm, I'm not doing this. But I saw a couple people go first and uh, made it over. But, man, that was wild. Seeing five ladders tied together and go, you have to cross it. And seeing that drop in the glacier, yeah, you kind of question, am I doing this? Should I? Am I? That Was I sound in my decision-making <laughs> getting to this point? <laughs> You've got I mean, to do that yeah. with spikes on your shoes. Yeah, you're doing that with crampons on, too. So you're going really slow, yeah. Metal on metal. I mean, when you're over, when you're halfway over this thing, what's going through your mind? That's a scary part when you get right to that one ladder and there's that gap there. I remember that looking down, going, "Wow, I hope this thing doesn't give out." But yeah, it's a, uh, 
you know, you're slipping a little bit. Those, they kind of slip a little bit on the ladder, but yeah, man, I'm just glad I made it across. And then we summited, but while I'm summiting the whole time, I'm thinking I got to cross, cross that ladder again on the, the way back down. The burden of the return. <laughs> yeah, the, the burden <laughs> of the return, but man, we all made it. Luckily nobody fell and man, it was, it was awesome. The summit was just a little bit past that. That was about 19,000 feet when we crossed that ladder and then we just did the final oh. thousand. So Man, beautiful. The best thing about that picture is you saw the mountains. We were above the clouds. Yeah. Just a beautiful scenery, the Himalayas. Wow. Yeah, yeah. panning around, that was, yeah. that's an incredible scene. The most savage moment ever would have been like, hold on, you need to take out your phone. Selfie. <laughs> In the middle. There's another, guy, <laughs> there's another guy that came on that ladder, and he started to fall on it, right? And uh, luckily took some quick steps and kind of quickly jumped to the, to the side. He has that video as a friend I went with, Dave. So he sent that out, went viral, that video. But, man, yeah, that, that ladder climb was wild. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Cameron Jensen with us on BYU Sports Nation, mountain climber, former BYU football great. What do you think about on these four-hour hikes day after day? Or, I mean, even when you're camping out and, and you're sleeping, what, you, what is going through your mind? Hey man, I'm glad you asked that because it's not necessarily the climbing I enjoy most, even though that's fun when you summit. It's, it's getting there. I like to just unplug. When you're climbing for four or five hours a day out there, there's no cell service. Your phone's not there. You know, I'll listen to music or books on tape at time, but you're just out there with your thoughts. I think it's a great way to step back and really focus on, you know, those goals, what you're achieving, what's important to you in life, it really grounds you. And that's one of my favorite things about it, right? And then the summit day, you know, you get up at one in the morning, it's 10 degrees and you're climbing for, I mean, that day was, we were hiking for about 14, 15 hours, I think, till the time we were done. Wow. So you have a lot of time, but it's just, it's cold, it's dark. You can really just see what's in front of you, right? And so I just, I love that part of the mental where you can just really unplug and you just have hours to just think and, and do that. I love it. I, I'm an introvert, so I just love getting out there and it's something that I really enjoy about it. How do you apply that idea of the unplugging into now you're not on the mountain Yeah, and here you are here. And I guess what advice do you have for people now that you've had this experience of, hey, and I know there's like a seven day fast on social media for a lot of the youth out there right now in the church. Same idea to a degree, right? Like unplugging good yeah, every now and then. It, absolutely. And I think I wish more people do it. And I tell people that all the time. And my work here is really stressful in that I, you build tech companies. And so it's, it's very drastic for me. But still, even weekly, you have to. And that's why it's whether it's a hike up the mountains with my dog. You know, we always hit the, hit the mountains. That's, that's what I do is just get out or, you know, meditate. I do that quite a bit just to unplug and really calm the mind a little bit. And for me, that helps. And, and I love what it does for me and, and what I've seen and what other people have mentored me with but it's really helped yeah you got to do it guys got to unplug we got to get you guys up on the mountain man we got to get you guys that up would there. be legit yeah. yeah we need to go climb mount nebo in yeah Nephi. let's do let's, yeah, do, let's, do, let's start, we'll start with white mountain and then we'll go from there <laughs> yeah uh we want to talk football with you and i'm sure that you had football cross your mind at some point as you're oh, always, hiking man. to the mountain always, yeah, it's always on my mind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much more coming up uh with cam uh, and football a two-part a two-part. We did that with Dave Rose the other I think you're just the second guy we've ever done a two-part with. Here we go. Coming up, Paul Asike. He's playing rugby again, okay? What's he up to now, and how does it involve Team USA? Just playing. Crushing, right? He's really good. Crushing. Cool. And more with Cameron Jensen next on BYU football, specifically leadership and the identity of the team as an independent. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation friends, welcome back. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan in Radio Vision Live on BYU Radio, our national simulcast on BYU TV. We are on demand anytime, anywhere. Without further ado, here are your top BYUSN stories. It's your BYU Sports Nation headlines. 
Two BYU baseball players, as we anticipated, were drafted into the major leagues yesterday. What we didn't anticipate is that one of them wouldn't be Brock Hale. The Cleveland Indians take Daniel Schneeman in the 33rd round. The Angels take catcher D.C. Clausen in the 37th round. Congratulations to both of those guys. Still trying to figure out why Brock Hale wasn't taken. BYU baseball pitcher Drew Zimmerman is named freshman All-American by Collegiate Baseball Magazine. The right-hander struck out 40 in 45 innings with a 2.40 ERA this season. Expected to be back next season as well. Fred Warner, not surprisingly, receiving reps with the first team of the San Francisco 49ers yesterday. At linebacker, the Niners took Warner in the third round of the 2018 NFL Draft. And day one from the NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships is in the books. Decathlete Kevin Nielsen earned season best marks in his first five events. In the 10K, Connor McMillan finished 12th in the final. Rory Linkletter, who finished second last year, finished in 24th. BYU's Matt Owens and Clayson Shumway advanced to the steeplechase final, which is scheduled for 8.54 Eastern tomorrow. And today, Whitney Orton will compete in the 1500 semifinal. Alyssa Dalton in the 100 hurdles in the semis, among others. So good luck to the Cougars in Tracktown, USA. All right, we have Cameron Jensen with us in Studio B. We just finished a fascinating conversation about uh, his life as a mountain man and his goals to it summit like a Mount Everest. Too. You got the beard going. You got it. It's just part. When you're on the mountain, you got to grow it out. You, know, you have to. It's part of it, man. It's part of it. Shaving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we, we love that stuff. And if you missed that part of the conversation, download the podcast. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Let's get into the football now. In terms of BYU football, and I know you're passionate, always have been, always will be, what's your number one concern with BYU football right now? Yeah, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody. I always look at the quarterback position, right? I'm not as worried with Grimes. I He has, what, 20 years of experience coaching. I'm always concerned with a first-year offensive coordinator, but not not so with Grimes, and especially when you have A-Rod with him. It's the quarterback position, right? Tanner Mangum hasn't been able to do as many reps, even though he's well well ahead of schedule, right? But still, just not having someone that's already determined. You have Bo Hodge hasn't been able to stay through a season. Then you have Zach Wilson, a freshman. That concerns me, right? Is just who's going to be that guy that's going to be consistent, that's going to fit within Grimes' offense. And then when you have drastic differences with Bo Hodge and Tanner Mangum, guys, those are two different offenses Mm. in a lot of ways. And so that concerns me when you have so, so many unknowns at the quarterback position, especially at BYU when I mean, that that's a vital position is on any team. But I just wonder who's going to be that guy. I love that you use the word consistent because John Beck was Mr. Consistency when you played at BYU. So how does that dynamic work? Because you knew John was a quarterback. You knew he'd do his thing and kind of help lead the offense. You'd lead the defense. Does there need to be a guy or set of guys that it's clear are the leaders? Because I didn't feel like that was necessarily the case last season. Yeah, you know, and I talk about this with Criddle on, on his show all the time, is I'm surprised you think of BYU that leadership would be something that's that we'd see all the time, right? Missions and all that. But you have seen a void of it. And you talk about John Beck as a player and just the consistency, especially at that position, Right, Just knowing and seeing him out there working harder than anybody, getting teammates to come, calling him out. There's something when you have peer-to-peer accountability rather than a coach saying you got to do things, it's, it's drastically different. I remember Brady Papinga. I was more afraid of him than Coach Mendenhall, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> and that's right? still the case. And, that's still, and uh, I just remember at practice, if I didn't bring it or in a game or film he saw something, he was the first guy going, Cameron, you're better than that. What are you doing? 
And, and that goes a long ways. And so you look at a team, there's really four positions that leadership, you know, typically comes from, right? Is you have the quarterback and then you have center, right? MP as a freshman, that's going to be hard. Then you go to middle linebacker, Butch Powell. I want to see that this year. Last year, I know he had a disappointing season. I hope this off season he's focused. I look at him to be the guy to step up. And then you go to safety with, with Zane Anderson, which I think as well. And then I throw Corbin Kafusi in there. You have to have this leadership and it's been a void. And who are those guys? Because it brings stability and accountability. And so I, I really look to those guys as being the ones that, hey, lead this team and be those guys to get everybody bought in. And man, let's go. Follow up to that, and I asked Andrew George this the other day. Interesting uh, response from him. I said, if if Kalani, it, so Bronco Mendenhall was the point of leadership. Like it started there, right? Kalani Sitake is a different kind of guy to his, and his strength is his personality, and it's it's fun, and he's a great recruiter, and guys like him. If he's not a bad cop per se, how's that going to work with the players? Like, can they govern themselves? Andrew George felt like. No, it's hard. What do you think? No, I agree. I don't think players, I don't think 18 and BYU's case, 21-year-olds can really manage themselves, right? There has to be accountability. And maybe it's not the head coach, but there needs to be someone. And I remember the first practice I went to in spring ball, before I even got to practice, whose voice did I hear? Coach Grimes getting on the offensive lineman, right? And I've heard about just his personality, which I think goes well. There's different type of head coaches. There's the player coaches. There's those. But I think there always has to be accountability, always. In any successful team organization I've been a part of, there is accountability. And so I know that's not Kalani's style, but I still think he needs to hold people accountable. But then when you have a guy like Grimes, um, Elisa. Defensively, who is it is the question. I'd say Elisa has to be that guy is, hey, you know, because Mendenhall did that when he wasn't the head coach. I yeah. knew, like, we were, man, well, there was accountability. There's no doubt, right? I mean, <laughs> every day there was accountability. Up, and so I, and Grimes and, and, yeah. and Elisa need to be those guys. And so I really look to them to instill what I think was missing in the program last year. Cameron Jensen with us on BYU Sports Nation. I want to talk a little bit more about Jeff Grimes. And I know it's hard to quantify it, but how much of an impact can a guy like that have on the culture of BYU football? Man, I love college football in general. And one thing I always study are, are coaches, right? I read their books. I, I love looking into the programs. And there's one thing that just amazes me, and that's the ability of one coach to have on a program, right? What they can do. And you see it all the time. A new coach comes in, turns it around in two years, right? And I think Grimes' impact, not just from an X's and O's standpoint, but from a leadership, from an accountability perspective, cannot be quantified, right? I, I think I look at this coaching staff and I think just the offense and just the experience and what that brings equates to two wins last year, right? Just that component of it. So I think having him and what he brings outside of X's and O's is extremely valuable. Yeah, let's talk about the quantifiable impact too. So in 2000, Lavelle's last year, you have kind of the same group you have in 01. You go from 6-6 six and six to 12-2 and two, like that. Uh, when Bronco Mendenhall came in, it was losing record to six and six, and then the next year you're eleven and two. Like that kind of jump can happen. Now, that was in the Mountain West. Here BYU is as an independent, certainly tougher schedules. Uh, BYU was kind of an eight or nine win team last year. Four. How do you think BYU can rebuild its identity in football independence, which is ranked? Good quarterback play, winning, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think to rebuild it, there's one thing, and you've got to win. And you've got to win in these national level. Maybe it's not every game, 
but you got to win. I look back those years. We beat Oklahoma. We didn't win all the t- games, but we beat those games. We were competitive. Some we lost, but we have to win some of those games on the national level, right? And there needs to be that consistency. I look, yeah, the schedule is, is a little bit more difficult, but we can get to eight, nine wins. I look at fairly consistency. Consistent. And then you look at 2020, 2021 schedule. I think with that, we have a chance to get to those 10 and 11 seasons, right? There, there are some difficult teams on those schedules, but there's enough light and, and just what I think BYU can be at that point, we can get to those 10 and 11 seasons, right? It's going to be more difficult. It might not be as consistent, but every few years we need to be at that level and win some of those games. And I think BYU can do that. Maybe not as consistent under Bronco Mendenhall with that schedule, but we can do it every other year, every three years. And to me, that's competing. Linebacker Greg Cameron Jensen on BYU Sports Nation. Coming off of a 4-9 and nine season, what would qualify as success for BYU football in 2018? Man, I have a high standard, right? I, 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 and I, I just love BYU, and I think we can compete. If you ask anyone, I think they'll say bowl game, six wins, right? But I look at next year's schedule, you know, first to three, you're playing Wisconsin, Cal, Arizona. You know, you win one of those, and then you have McNeese State, Hawaii, Utah State, uh, Northern Illinois, New Mexico State. I think we can win eight, eight games next year. So I look at it as, no, let's just not get six wins. I think we can win eight games. And, and obviously, I look at this Utah rivalry. For me to be successful, we have to start making that competitive, oh. right? And so that burns me, especially a guy who grew up in the state and, and that. So I look at eight wins, and we have to start beating Utah. Right. And so that's what I measure success. And I think we can get to eight wins. Not next only year. that, you grew up in Bountiful in the heart Around of the Ute country. I mean, yeah. t- my dad was a Ute, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, my dad was a Ute. So, uh, um, yeah, it's that that rivalry is great. And just from this end, we got to make that competitive. So big picture. We, we've talked about how I, I don't think if BYU is winning eight, they're very relevant. You can be you can be have moments of relevance. Hey, you get, got this big win. Right. But like that whole season, because you were a part of relevance. It, 11 and 2. BYU was relevant, top 15, awesome. I feel like BYU's schedules are just a little too tough. Just a little too tough. And look, I think What do you think? I think there's a different I do think these schedules are more difficult, right? For and sure. so our standard was every year, right? We wanted to be top 20, top 15. But then again, I think this is a little bit more difficult. So my standard is I still think once every one, two, three years, we should be we should win ten games. And, we and should BYU get up for a while. I think there's some angst because of that. Yeah. It's yeah. been seven years since BYU was ranked at the end of a season. Exactly. And I'm not saying every year's the standard, because that's going to be difficult. But we need to do that once every three, four, five years is be up, be ranked, have a magical season. And I think BYU can do that. Maybe it's not every year. 10, 11 wins, but we should be able to three, five years do that. All right. Cameron Jensen, bringing it, not only on mountain climbing, but on BYU football. Let's do this again soon. Dude, love it, man. Anytime, guys. Love it. Let's, uh, let's get your signature. Please sign it. Oh, man, what are we doing? Yeah. Flag? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead and All go right, sign man. it right now. You got it. Cameron Jensen putting his autograph on the Stretch Y flag in Studio B. The only person to uh, get to base camp at Everest, I think, on our flag. That's a new thing. <laughs> I'm pretty and, sure, yeah. And how many, how many Rick's College Vikings – do we have on that flag is another question? Yeah. Let's we, see. Uh, it's a dying breed, man. Yeah. Dying Cameron breed. And, and Johnny Harleen, right? Johnny Harleen. Is that it? Jason Buck? You got Buck on here, don't you? I don't know that we oh. have Jason on there. We need Jason on there. It's a good point. Yeah. yeah. It's a dying breed. Yeah. The spirit of Rick's is alive. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Cam, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Okay. Coming up, changes in Vegas Bowl affiliations. Big deal, no deals next. Oh, BYU factoring into that? Hmm. Which former BYU football player was waived from his NFL team. 
and is looking now for a new home. This is BYU Sports Nation. What wonderful news you're delivering. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. On BYU Football Media Day, BYU Sports Nation will have a live two-hour edition of the show from 12 to 2 Eastern on Friday, June 22nd. That's coming up on BYU Football Media Day. Welcome back to Studio B. Your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play continues. I am Spencer Linton alongside Jerem Jordan. Our daily BYUSN rebroadcast airs each and every weeknight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on BYU TV. A programming note, Paul Lasique has called an audible today. He will join us next week. We will deliver the Team USA rugby star. Find out what's going on in his life sometime next week. So a fake in rugby is called a dummy. Oh, a dummy. Yeah. He has uh, rolled out a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't use that verb, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, walked right into that one, didn't I? Our question <laughs> of the day. walked into touch on that one. <laughs> Out of bounds. Our question of the day. What can BYU do to rebuild its identity in football independence? Cameron Jensen just joined us. Great he brought discuss. up a great point, saying it doesn't have to happen every year, but once every three to five years, if BYU Amen. wins 10 or 11 games, then it becomes a different story. And what Jeremy and I were just discussing during the commercial break is, that year was supposed to be 2014. In 2011, yes. BYU goes 10 and 3 with Riley Nelson. 2016, you're real close. Like, just do it every couple years. But it's been six, now seven years going into this year where BYU hasn't finished the season ranked. There's some angst with that. Like, everyone's a little jumpy, not to mention four and nine, of course, but let's go. Let's get 10 wins in a season. I just think it's going to be tough with these schedules. Joe Walker in on Facebook. Create a schedule where there is more of a chance to win 10 plus games Preach. a season. Instead of scheduling Wisconsin, LSU, and Washingtons of college football, schedule North Carolina, Kansas, Rutgers, Vanderbilt, etc. Now I'm here, okay. Well, in the Pac-12, you are with Arizona and Cal. Here's the thing. It's not cut and dry and black and white when yes. it comes to scheduling. Correct. I this acknowledge that. Really and I hammer hard. the schedule. I know. I know. Tom Holmo, I wish he could explain to everyone at length what goes into it. And we could spend an entire week, every hour of BYU Sports Nation through a week, talking about what goes into the scheduling process. It's not just, hey, Vanderbilt, do you want to play a game? It, do- it doesn't happen like that. So when Wisconsin comes and says, hey, we want to play you home and home, if you're Tom Holmo, are you thinking, wow, they're willing to come to Provo? I get that it's hard to say no. Okay, yeah, it's hard to I say do. no, yeah. but here we are. Here we are. Hashtag BYUSN, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to add your responses. Let's play Big Deal, No Deal. Big Deal, No Deal. Presented by Utah Valley Convention and Visitors Bureau. Bring everyone together at visitprovo.org. It's definitely a big deal. Number one. Big Deal, No Deal. Fred Warner getting reps with the first team in San Francisco. Uh, I think it's a big deal. He's a rookie. That means they potentially looking at him as a starter. I think this is a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, I I look at this, I'm not surprised. So from that angle, maybe it's no deal. But yes, everything we've been hearing is now being backed up with action. It is a big deal. Fred Warner is expected to be a significant contributor in his rookie season. Potentially a starter. Great stuff. Number two. 
Big deal, no deal. BYU track and field only having one runner finish in the top 15 in the 10,000 meter. This is a big deal. I believe the BYU was ranked number one in this a few weeks ago. Uh, disappointing finish for those guys. They had a tremendous season, unfortunately, in the final. Didn't quite deliver what they wanted, but there's still a lot of talent on that team. Hopefully they can uh, perform well in the other events and next year. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Uh, this is a big deal for Connor McMillan that he has an opportunity to carry the flag for BYU and and keep going in the top fifteen. You know, I, that's second team All American. Never, yeah. never a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's not what BYU wanted, but uh, congratulations to Connor, number three. Last one, big deal, no deal. The Las Vegas Bowl reportedly dropping their affiliation with the Mountain West Conference in favor of two Power Five conferences, Pac-12, maybe SEC, beginning in 2020 in the new Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas, Raiders Stadium. Of course, that gets mentioned from Ben, the big Raiders fan. I go big deal. Yet again, BYU, Holiday Bowl, and now Vegas Bowl built this bowl into a Power Five matchup. Also, big deal, uh, the last time BYU was in the Vegas Bowl was not a great experience. We were there. <laughs> Everything around the bowl is fantastic from the bowl, wait, but the game itself. Wait, Jerem, didn't the Vegas Bowl in 2015 feature two Power 5 teams? Because I heard all about it leading up to that game that, well, this is like a Power 5 matchup because BYU is a Power 5 team. You always a Power 5 team? Where'd that money be at? I heard all about it leading up to the game that we shouldn't call BYU... A non-Power 5 team all year long, in fact. Until BYU is cashing $20 million checks a year, BYU ain't a Power 5 team. Good for the Vegas Bowl, you know, and ramping up the game. But it is interesting that BYU is involved once again, a la the Holiday Bowl that you yeah. brought up, now in the Vegas Bowl becoming a bigger bowl game. Maybe BYU gets invited to the Pac-12, and then they're in that Vegas Bowl at some point. <laughs> it's one of my greatest hopes and desires. <laughs> Coming up, it's good news, bad news for Cougars in the NFL in the whip. And what can BYU do to rebuild its independent identity, our elite voice of the nation? I've changed my answer. I'll tell you what it is coming up. Did your burner account win the elite voice of the day? No, that was uh, Brother Colangelo's account. (laughs) One of his seven. (laughs) This is BYU Sports Nation. Big Deal No Deal is sponsored by the Utah Valley Convention and Visitors Bureau. Bring everyone together. BYU Sports Nation is brought to you in part by DexterLaw.com for help when you need it most. Shout out to today's guest, Cameron Jensen, the general. And no, he's not going to give you a loan. Sorry, Dennis Pitta. We ran out of time. <laughs> I was like, was that a shout out to another guest that we've had on here? <laughs> no. <laughs> or auto, I know, I know, I know or auto insurance, whatever yeah, exactly. it is. If you missed any part of today's show, you missed a lot. You can always download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Let's whip it. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around Baseball. Two Cougars were drafted yesterday in the Major League Baseball draft. The Indians took shortstop Daniel Schneeman in the 33rd, and catcher D.C. Clawson was drafted in the 37th round by the Angels. Amazingly, Brock Hale wasn't drafted for a second season in a Help row. Help me understand. BYU baseball pitcher Drew Zimmerman named a freshman All-American by Collegiate Baseball Magazine, the right-hander. As a closer, struck out 40 in 45 innings and put up a 2.40 earned run average. Well done. Cougars in the minors. Jacob Hanneman went 2-for-3 for the AAA Iowa Cubs and went over the Albuquerque Isotopes. Colton Mahoney struck out three in four innings of work as a pitcher for the AA Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and a win over the Birmingham Barons. 
Brendan Lund went three for six with three RBIs and two runs scored for the Mobile Bay Bears in a 17-4 win over the Chattanooga Lookouts. He's nine for 16 with seven RBIs and five runs in the last three games. Maverick Buffo, a Midwest League All-Star. Buffo seven and two this season for the single A Lansing Lugnuts with a 3.27 earned run average. Sweep right or swipe right on that. And Taylor Cole pitched. Uh, one inning, struck out two for the AAA Salt Lake Bees in a loss to the Round Rock Express. Cougars in the NFL. Colby Pearson released by the Green Bay Packers. Also, Fred Warner getting first-team reps at OTAs with the San Francisco 49ers. Track and field. They won from the Outdoor Track and Field Championships in Eugene is in the book to Catholic Kevin Nielsen. Season best in his first five events. Congrats in the 10K. Connor McMillan finished 12th in the final. Rory Linkletter, who finished second last year, finished in 24th. BYU's Matt Owens and Clayson Shumway advance to the steeplechase final, which is scheduled for 8.54 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Today, Whitney Orton will compete in the 1500 semifinal, and Alyssa Dalton will run the 100 hurdles in the semifinals. Today's Rise and Shout brought to you by Dexter and Dexter Help when you need it most. DexterLaw.com. Cam Jensen, who didn't hike Everest all the way, but he went to the base camp. He's going to do that in the next two years. That is incredible. You have that, to spend that, a month over there to acclimate before you me? can even begin the climb to the summit. I didn't realize that there was such a big difference. And there is. And it, that it's very significant just to get to the base camp. He summited, feet. He summited a peak at 21,000 feet. That's incredible. One of and the greatest accomplishments for a Rick's College Viking of all You've got to be there for a month before you can even begin to think about going to the top of Mount Everest. That's some serious orientation. Can you yeah. imagine, like, at your job, like, sorry, in one month we're going to let you do this? Yeah. One month. Acclimating. Wow. Question of the day. What can BYU football do to rebuild its identity as an independent? From Super Dave MC on Instagram, restore the pass-first passing game. Okay. Okay. I like it. Our elite voice of the day from at Ames Flames on Twitter. A couple statement wins would go a long way, meaning win some games we're expected to lose, which should be easy considering BYU is supposed to lose to <laughs> the Gaggies. <laughs> but really, a couple of good Power 5 wins would make all the difference. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. The conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use hashtag BYUSN. The show's on demand at BYUSN.com. The Gaggies? Audio podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and the TuneIn app for Jeremiah Spencer. Shout out to Earl Kaufman, another number 86. Like Giga Maggies with Gaggies.